Are you at your point where you think you've hit your bottom or maybe that there's just no way you're ever going to feel like things can change? I was like that. I really was. And I want you to know, my name is Bromo, by the way. I want you to know that there is a way out. Please join us for my podcasts. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, you look at that already. It's my third one. My third, there is a way out. Today is the 18th of January, my second one of the day. If you're wondering why I'm trying to put these together so quick, it's because I did this before about four or five years ago. My name is Bromo, by the way. How are you? (laughs) I'll tell you my sobriety date in just a bit. I did these about four or five years ago, more like five years ago, at a different radio station, a different company, and I couldn't take those 30 that I did And roll them over here to our Town Square Media. Because obviously, the property that I was in in Minot was a different company. So I'm retelling my story. And for those of you that have heard it before, I feel bad sometimes. But that's how it is when you go to a speaker meeting or wherever. You've heard someone speak and someone share the same share almost many times over. And that's okay because we're all here for each other. Again, um, I am an alcoholic. My sobriety date is 2-17-09, and I'm not an expert. I don't have any kind of credentials or anything like that. The only thing I have really is, is experience and hope, and I'm sh- trying to share all that with you. Um, my whole goal and main, main line of thinking is that I really hope that uh, if you hear this, you might appreciate it. You might nod your head with it. You might... Um, You might say you can relate to it. You might have somebody in your family, some friends, or yourself who are having some struggles with addiction and want to be able to maybe pass these podcasts on. Because as I get through my story, and I don't know how many more podcasts it'll take before I'm done done, um, leading up to today, the 18th of January in this uh, 2024 year, I'll have other people come on, and they'll share their stories. They're, they'll share their hope. And that's my favorite part. I love to talk to people who are going through it, who are living their journey. Again, it doesn't matter for all of us if you've had 25 years or 25 days. We all learn from each other. And I used to say, oh, that's bull. How could me be sitting out here in the audience, in the crowd, six months sober, how can I teach somebody who's been 30 years sober? Not necessarily teach, but it's a way of looking at yourself, at looking at someone else and remembering where you were when you first started getting sober. It's a struggle for all of us. It doesn't matter, again, how many days you've been sober. We are all alcoholics or and, and dealing with addiction. I used to laugh because my dad thought that there was a cure by taking a pill or once I've been to a certain amount of meetings, I don't have to go again and I'm recovered. 
R-E-C-O-V-E-R-E-D. And I don't like that word recovered because you're not a you're not completely recovered ever. That's why we're in recovery. Enough of my opinions on that. I'll continue with my story. I left off where I had been uh, given an opportunity to be an intern for a morning show in San Diego, and I took it. At that time, I wasn't running anymore because I was injured. So a lot of my um, impulsive, not really impulsive, a lot of my ways of being addicted to something like running, which I was addicted to for years, that was gone in my life. Something else had to come in and fill that void. Slowly, alcohol was it. Because when I was still working at the restaurant, now I'm getting up early and going and uh, working on this morning show. And a friend of mine, a real good friend of mine still, uh, when he was single, he would say, hey, let's go to such and such a place in Pacific Beach. And, you know, like a couple of guys, we are thinking that, hey, maybe we'll meet somebody. <laughs> and I still laugh when I think about it. You go to one of those meat marketplaces, not, <clears throat> not necessarily a meat market where you're definitely going to meet someone and go home into a one-night stand or whatever. For me, I never went to those places. I just went to, like, I guess you would call them nightclubs with loud music and, and plenty of alcohol all around the, the place. And we would sit there and walk around like two stooges, totally looking like we're looking for someone. And we would always take advantage of the drink specials. So there we are, two-fisted, walking around till last call, and then swirling those drinks down, getting into his car, going off to get some Mexican food, because those places are always open 24-7, coming home 20 miles away, putting my head down on a pillow for about 25 minutes, showering, probably reeking of booze, and driving out to the radio station to be there bright and early. It's amazing how many things you can do when you're younger, right? I did that for a while. So um, I started working. It, it branched off from being an intern. I actually got officially hired at the company, which has gone through many names, PAR Broadcasting, all of that, J-Core, all that. I started working for an AM station, which had talk radio there. And that was a whole different ballgame, man. Instead of, you know, rock and roll and all that, I was running the controls for live hosts that were taking phone calls on a AM radio station. You know, anything that was in the news. At that time, in the news was O.J. Simpson, the O.J. Simpson trial. And there I am running the news. I'll never forget... That thing took a while. I don't know exactly how long, but uh, when they when they went to uh, when the jurors went into their room to make their final uh, why can't I talk today deliberations when they went in there to go over that and uh, they said yeah we we have made a uh, we made a decision or we've uh, you know they came back to, to and brought everybody in. And there's TV and everything. And you're watching O.J. Simpson. He's nervous as you know what. My boss leans to me into the microphone. He says, whatever you do, don't go for a commercial. Really? Because I thought I was going to go for like a 60-second commercial right when they read the verdict. <laughs> so we, we ran 
O.J. Simpson trial from gavel to gavel, from start to finish, until the verdict was read. Anyway, the reason why I'm telling you all this is because I was working at this AM station a lot. And uh, my drinking had escalated escalated to a, to a point where I was drinking almost every single day with beer, mostly. Uh, I'd bring home a six-pack or so and only put a couple in the refrigerator so my dad didn't think I was had a problem or anything, and I would totally engulf the other two or three beers in my room and go out to the refrigerator like I was only grabbing like my second one, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, one day, uh, I'd worked all day long at the uh, the radio station from like, uh, you know, nine in the morning till like uh, four. Right from there, I had to go to the restaurant where I was still working. At that point, I think I was a cook then. So I went all around the clock without much of a break and uh, didn't have any food in my stomach. And restaurant life is unique to the fact that uh, some restaurants, all the employees, like I said this earlier in the segment before, they'll all hang, hang out together, kind of bond together, kind of relax together afterwards. And our restaurant, the Chart House, actually was okay if we changed our clothes and we could drink at the bar. And at that time, in San Diego, there was a thing called the America's Cup, which was the the boat racing kind of thing. We were always busy. I mean, from because we were right there by the water in Shelter Island. We didn't have a water view or anything like that. We were like half a mile down away away from the water on this island as you enter the island. Makes sense? So... There I am working all day long. I get in my car and I go as fast as I can to the restaurant, get all dressed up in my restaurant gear. Super busy all the way up until about 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. People are finally leaving the restaurant. We're kind of relaxing up at the bar. The bartender's giving us drinks and stuff. And uh, one person says, hey, have you ever tried to mind eraser? I go, well, I don't, I don't know what that is, but it sounds kind of scary. What is it? And I'm looking over, and the bartender nods to the other guy because he knows what it is. And he's, I can't even tell you to this day what it is. There's several shots rolled into one. Let's just say that, let's just say that Mind Eraser uh, uh, fits the name, okay? It's that potent. I had three or four beers until I had my first Mind Eraser shot. And then I had another shot. And then I don't remember a thing. And this is the scary thing. Apparently, apparently some of us helped walk the bartender out to his car because he was trashed as well. And from there, I had to drive 20 miles home in my little Nissan red Nissan Sentra. And what I remember is this, a... smash against the side of my car and I remember a huge gust of wind on my face and that was it what happened was from somewhere between the restaurant and my house first of all I ran to a light pole because there was a huge indentation if I said that right probably didn't in the front of my car like I blew out a headlight so I don't even remember doing that on the highway freeway, we call it in San Diego, freeway, 
on the freeway, I sideswiped somebody. And that was the noise that I heard. That's it. That's all I remember. From there, apparently, when I say apparently, this is what happened to his statement. I got off the highway trying to lose this guy, the freeway. He followed me. He got my license plate. And I got back on the freeway, made it home. Now, the guy that I hit was probably the nicest guy on the planet because all he did was take my information down as far as my license plate. And I guess he called it in later. I got home like around 3.30 or so is what I imagine. My dad walks into my room to see if I want to go out for coffee. And my dog's on my bed and I'm on the ground. And he smells alcohol all over the room. Bromo, get up. What did you do last night? And I don't remember. He walked out. He saw my car for the first time in the driveway. He came back in, grabbed my keys. And split to go have coffee on his own. And I'm still lights out, tired. Still probably full of booze. Yeah, definitely full of booze in me. So I'm trying to sleep. And I hear a knock on the door. And then I hear it again. But I don't answer because I'm thinking it's someone walking around pushing some sort of religious forms or maybe it's... Somebody in the area, I don't know. Didn't seem to be that important for me to open the door until the phone rang. And I'll remember to this day, I I answer the, the phone. Yeah, this is blah, blah, blah from the California Highway Patrol. Is David Brandon there? Yeah, this is me. We need you to come outside. There's an officer waiting to see you outside your front door. Is there anybody else in the house? Uh, no. You need to get outside immediately. And as I hung up the phone, I started hyperventilating. I was putting my pants on, and I was like, what did I do last night? What happened last night? What did I do? Now, remember, I have no, I forgot about whatever it was on the highway. As I put my clothes on, thinking to myself, what did I do? What did I do? What did I do? I walked out there, and the police officer says, is there anyone else in the house? I need everybody out of the house. And I said, it's just me. And I saw my car off to the right in the driveway. And I said, oh, my God. He goes, I'm officer such and such. And I'm here investigating a hit and run. And the only thing I think of was I looked at him and I went, well, that would be me. I'm guessing. And I made eye contact with him. There's nothing to hide. And he took a couple seconds and he said, well, yeah, I can smell alcohol in your breath. And then I walk over to see the damage of my car. And then I held my breath. He goes, well, listen, good news. You didn't hurt anybody. I'm not going to arrest you and you're not going to jail. Well, I could have hugged this guy. I could have. Right at that moment, my dad comes down the hill back from the coffee shop. What's going on? And the officer says, listen, I'm here investigating a hit and run. Your son is really honest. He's a really good guy. Yeah, he needs a haircut. He's a really good guy, such and such. I looked over at the uh, police officer's motorcycle. He had a lightning bolt on it because that was right around the time the San Diego Chargers were about ready to go into the Super Bowl for the first and only time. So he wrote me this little thing. And uh, he took some pictures of my car and he drove off. And I looked at my dad and I said, why, dad, why wasn't I arrested? And we looked at the charges on there, excessive speed limits or going 
going across the lines or whatever that is, and uh, <clears throat> hit and run. Now, let me tell you the difference between a misdemeanor hit and run and a felony. A misdemeanor hit and run is that there's no injuries. Like if this guy had broken a thumbnail and complained of a sprained pinky injury, that would have been a felony. So he he uh, he didn't have any injuries on him. So this was misdemeanor hit and run, uh, excessive speed limit and straddling the lanes or whatever. Because you know I the guy was chasing me, and so I said, "What is this, Dad? Is this a ticket?" I don't know, but you're lucky you you didn't go to jail or anything like that. And I forgot what happened then. And I remember thinking for weeks, um, wow, I must have run. <laughs> How lucky was I? I could have killed somebody. And that's the definite obvious deal. I could have killed somebody. I get charged, I don't know, a month later in the mail of those charges and I have to go to court. I don't go to court. My dad has a lawyer go in there for me. And the lawyer says, uh, what can we do? Blah, blah, blah. And I have a pretty clean record. In fact, I knew I, I know I had a clean record. And the judge said, uh, your client has to pay restitution to the victim, which is, uh, I think it came out to $2,000. I had a restricted license where from now on I could only drive to and from work for six months. And then they gave me community service. You know what that is, right? Community service is when you go around and pick up trash or do whatever. Go out and uh, cut grass or go to a school and help clean up the school. You do community service, and you have to do it for like six to eight hours a day for a minimum of two days a week, depending on your schedule. Well, at that point, I was working full-time at the radio station, so I was able to get a Saturday and Sunday uh, a Saturday and Sunday deal where I could go out and do my community service. Problem? The first day I was supposed to show up, I got scared. I didn't know who I was going to see out there. I mean, this was a mandated deal where I was supposed to show up at this place. I actually drove my car by and I looked over into the parking lot of all these people that were there to report to their community service. And they all looked mean and tough. And I'm a radio guy, remember? I didn't show up. And I just got scared. I thought, uh-oh. Dude, it says right there you got to show up. I didn't show up. I blew it off. I had a girlfriend at the time. Shocker that that may be, I know, for all of you listening. And so she and I were going out. And I remember when I was uh, staying over at her house quite a bit, my dad called me like about a month later after I was supposed to show up. Romo, what? You got a warrant out for your arrest. Yeah, he opened my mail. And sure enough, I had a warrant out for my arrest because I didn't show up. So I tell my lawyer, as my dad tells the lawyer too, of procrastination. Basically, I was being an idiot. So my lawyer goes back in and goes, look, What can we do? Can we get an extension because uh, some something came up, some extra blah, 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 blah. And then the judge goes, yeah, no problem. We'll give him an extension. He's got, a, he's got until now, until such and such to get those 30 days done. Perfect. At this point, I said, look, now I, 
You better drag your rear end in there. And I did. I did. The problem, again, was I had to go on Saturdays and Sundays. I would go on Saturdays. You know why I didn't go on Sundays? Because I had season tickets to the San Diego Chargers. (laughs) My ex-girlfriend had uh, given that to me for Christmas. So I remember when uh, the Chargers were playing at home, and it was a Sunday, and my girlfriend would say, don't you have uh, community service today? Oh, no, no, it's a holiday for community service people. I forgot to tell you that. Oh, it is? Yeah, so I can go to the game. We went to the game. Well, I made a pattern of coming up with excuses why I didn't have to go. Oh, uh, we, we don't have to go to community service tomorrow. Why is that? Because the head of community service, it's his birthday, and uh, he gave us all the day off. Oh, that's great. Let's go to the game. Well, I only here's the problem. I only finished half of what I was supposed to have done by that due date. So three weeks later, same scenario. I'm at my girlfriend's house. My phone rings. Romo, you got another warrant out. Uh-oh. This time it wasn't good. This time I told my lawyer about the the warrant. He goes, I got to tell you, man, there's not a whole lot I can do in this case. Because here's the thing. People in law, courts, systems, judges, they don't like it when you snub your nose at them. In other words, they want you to finish what they tell you to do. There's a reason for that. So my lawyer... And I wasn't there. I've never been for those things. I always had him go. My lawyer showed up. And the judge goes, what's this? Blah, 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 blah. He goes, six months county jail. <laughs> and my lawyer, thank goodness, got on his knees and did whatever pleading he could. Look, I know my, my client really messed up. He really procrastinated so much so that he's an idiot. What can we do for this guy who needs a haircut, who's a goofy-looking radio guy, who works at a restaurant? What is there anything, last ditch, what can we do? And the judge goes, well, there's one thing. I'll send him to work furlough, and if he doesn't complete that, I'll send him to prison for over a year. Now, work furlough is a place where it is like jail. It's a minimum security place. You show up, you grab all your stuff, your clothes, all that stuff. You're assigned a room with about five other roommates because there's like three bunk beds. And uh, uh, you're assigned a room and you are let go. They let you go in the morning with a sack lunch. You better eat the sack lunch because if you eat anything else, and a poppy seed shows up and, it, and you get tested and it shows that it looks like you've had cocaine, boom, off to prison. Anyway, they give you a sack lunch. You go to work using the bus system. You're not allowed to drive unless it pertains to your job. Like if you're a taxi cab driver, I guess you could. But no, I had to take a bus across the city to the radio station and you better be back at 6 o'clock at night. Because if you're a minute late, they'll send a warrant out and they will take your rear end to jail. Jail, jail, which I've never, knock on wood, amazing that I say this, I've never been handcuffed, I've never been to jail. So now I'm assigned to go to work furlough. 
work furlough for me for 45 days. And I'll never forget my thought process was this. I won't be able to drink alcohol. Well, duh. Work furlough. I'll be sent away for 45 days. You know what the first thing the guy said to me when I got out of work furlough because I I finally made it? I'll tell you on my next segment. It'll make you laugh, I think. My name is Bromo. Once again, this is There Is A Way Out. I want all of you who listen to this, who can maybe relate, or maybe you're yawning, you're getting bored of this. It works for me. I'm kind of selfish, but as I tell my story, my hope is that other people who are going through the same thing or have been through the same thing will pass this on to others and will know the fight against addiction, that you can turn your life around and that there is a way out. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.